Hey, everybody, before we jump into today's episode with Betty Kempa, please make sure to check out www.weeklywealthpodcast.com. That is our new website, and it is up and running. This is the Weekly Wealth Podcast with certified financial planner David Chudik, where we discuss the wealth building mindsets and tactics that can help you to build and maintain wealth for you, your family, and your business. Welcome to today's episode of the Weekly Wealth Podcast. Uh, Today we have a treat. We have Betty Kempa. And on the Weekly Wealth Podcast, we talk about the mindsets, tactic, and strategies to help you to build and maintain wealth. Well, one of the biggest ways to build wealth is by having the right job because let's face it, without income, it's really, really hard to build wealth. So we're going to talk to Coach Betty a little bit about finding um, uh, really the job that's right for you. But before we jump into that, so hey, Betty, tell us a little bit about uh, you personally, and uh, also tell us about your career and how you got started and how long you've been in the um, in the career coach world. So take it away. I love it. Well, thank you so much for having me, David. I'm excited to be here and um, you know, finances, it's such a relevant topic when it comes to people um, thinking about what they want to do next in their career. Um, so really excited to be here. So I am an executive career change coach. And specifically, I help mid to senior level corporate women transition out of unfulfilling jobs and into careers they love. Um, you know, from kind of a personal level, I guess, you know, a little bit about my background. Um, I also was stuck in an unfulfilling corporate career for over a decade. I was in corporate communications and I went through the same journey of self-discovery that I now walk my clients through to try to help them get clarity on what kind of career would bring them fulfillment and joy. So at this point, I have over a thousand hours of career coaching under my belt. I've coached um, senior corporate executives from companies including Google and PayPal, Workday, Sephora, um, numerous Fortune 500s. Now, something different, I would say, about my coaching style, um, because there's a lot of career coaches out there, we all have our own style, is that I am trained in coaching both mindset and inner blocks and also very tactical career transition strategies. So what I would say is I'm trained on the inner, the the mind blocks people have around making a career switch and also the external tactical career transition strategies. Um, And that's really how I developed my five-step career bliss coaching process. Um, on On a personal level, I have lived all over the country. So I have lived in Chicago and Connecticut, I was in Green Bay, Wisconsin growing up, um, Florida, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and now I'm in Denver. Um, So I've been all over the place. um, And that's a little bit about me. Yeah. So it sounds like you've been been all around the country. So when, when you talk about unfulfilling, now I think in the corporate executive level, everybody's probably making a pretty good salary. So I, it's probably, is it money related typically that, um, or, or is it lifestyle related? What do people find unfulfilling um, mm-hmm. at that level of jobs? Yeah, that's a really good question. So here's what I find. Um, what I find is they feel unfulfilled um, in the sense that it's either 
a toxic work environment or they're not passionate about what they do. Um, what I always say is if you on a Monday aren't flinging off the sheets because you can't wait to get started working, um, you're in the wrong career. So that's when I say unfulfilling. But is I'm that just kind of career coach? hoopla because is anybody really excited or um, I've always kind of thought it, it, you know, in a lot of ways that it, you know, working is, is work. I mean, how, how excited can you be to go to work every day? Yeah, that's a good question. So, and I will tell you from my own personal experience, um, I think that's a limiting belief that a lot of people cling to that keeps them staying stuck in a job that makes them unhappy right? So when I was in my corporate communications career, I was making a ton of money, well over six figures, but it wasn't enough. I felt dread. I felt, um, you know, angst, even getting up and going to work. It was not my right fit. And now that I am in a career that I love, I can truly say that, I mean, I, I cannot wait to start working because I love what I do so much. Um, every single day. And I think that's one of the limiting beliefs that I help my clients get over is, you know, they think there has to be a trade-off. I can either do something I, I love and then I don't make enough money, um, or I can just suck it up and go to work and make the money that I want to make. And what I'm here to say is you can truly do both. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and if anybody, who, any of your clients had anywhere near the enthusiasm that you have in your voice, I would <laughs> uh, certainly say that it's, uh, that it's possible. So you help successful women transition out of unfulfilling jobs and into careers that they love. What keeps them staying in unfilling, unfulfilling jobs in, in, in the first place? Because I think, like I, said, I think we've all been in unfulfilling jobs and, and there probably is that belief that, you know what, it's just work and it's supposed to suck and, you know, it, yeah. it's just the way life is. So, so talk to us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'd love to just die, you know, peel back the layers a little bit more on the, the limiting belief. Cause again, that is what I see. That's why I see women for years and years and years staying stuck in a career that makes them miserable is they think they have a belief that it's impossible to have a career you love and make a high salary. And they convince themselves it has to be this trade-off. And when I say limiting belief, the definition of a limiting belief is something you accept about life, about your career, about your world that limits you in some way. So a limiting belief is going to keep somebody safe and small. And it's going to hold them back from taking chances. It's going to keep them blind to opportunities in their path, right? They're not even seeing those opportunities because they're just latching to the belief like, oh, yep, job's got to suck, got to make the money, whatever it takes, right? So in this case, um, this is the limiting belief that keeps people staying stuck. Now, I, I went through this too, right? So when I was, I was at a big name company, I was a senior corporate communications manager, and when I decided, you know, I didn't want to be miserable anymore and I wanted to leave the corporate world and become a career coach, I remember I Googled how much does a career coach make? And Google told me that it was $40,000. And I almost lost it because in my current role, I was making well over three times that amount, right? So that was my crossroads. That's where I could have either accepted the $40,000 idea 
And I could have made that limiting belief my new reality, like, oh, if I want to do something I love, this is it, that, that's how much I can make. Or I could have decided I'm going to blow that out of the water, right? So I chose the latter and I was able to pull in over six figures in my first full year in business. Wow. And, and that, um, I would assume that that was just an increase in client acquisition and, and providing value so that, uh, you know, your fees can be where they need to be to get you to, uh, to that income level. Yeah, I mean, there was so much that went into making that a reality. Um, but I think, you know, here's the cool thing about stepping into a career that you love. When you love what you do, um, the passion drives you to want to do more, be better, right? I, I dove into learning about my field, learning about how to build a business. I showed up consistently, right? I found when I thought back to my corporate job, I'm like, man, where was all that enthusiasm in that other job? It's because I didn't feel the passion for it. But in, once you find something that you love, it's a pleasure to show up each day and do the work that you need to do to create you know, a massively successful business. Yeah, yeah. I've always felt sorry for people who appear to, to grossly dislike what they do for a living because we spend so much time of our lives working. And, um, you know, if you don't enjoy what you do and yeah, we all have to bring in a paycheck, but ultimately so much of our lives are spent, um, spent at work. So enjoying and having passion is really, really a great thing. Now, inherently, do you feel like what makes a career unfulfilling for a woman is different than, than what maybe your average male would say why his career might be unfulfilling? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, here's what I would say. Um, you know, I work with women just because that happens to be my, my niche and who I market to. And I am a woman, right? So I've been there, done that. Um, but I still have guys that'll reach out to me that, that need my help. And so what I would say is I don't necessarily see a difference between what makes it fulfilling for a man versus a woman. Um, I would just say that it is so personal and different for everybody, right? And there's a lot of factors that go into what brings fulfillment in a career. So it could be your values. It could be um, your personality type. It could be the job functions that you enjoy doing. Um, salary requirements, that goes into it too. So there's a long list of things. But what's interesting is you mentioned salary last. So how is, is salary probably not the most important or, or is it? Good question. Well, if, if you think about my niche of who I'm working with, I am working with women that are already far surpassed the six-figure mark right? So yes, salary is important to all of them. They're highly successful. But the thing about the clients that I'm working with is it's not enough. They need more than that. Right, right, right. I actually have a, 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 a client and she is part of the financial planning process that we're looking at is she, she's looking for a different career. And um, my question to her, because we were looking at budgeting and everything, is if you found you know the ideal job and it paid half of what you're making now, would you be okay? She's like, I'd take it in a second. So Great for her, question. you know, the money obviously we all want money, but her job apparently is just very unfulfilling. So mm -hmm. if it meant taking a lot less money, she'd be fine with that as well. And because um, uh, I, I do think that money and and is. A lot of times employers think, well, I'll just pay more and I'll get more productivity and better results. And I don't think that's the case. I think that there's so much more into it 
And even now with the new work at home programs, you know, a lot of people I think would, would choose to work at home uh, as a benefit uh, for the yes. same money or even a little less money if you could have a little freedom. So. Absolutely. Yeah. There are so many factors and, you know, I use something called a dream career scorecard with my clients where we add up what are all the factors that makes a fulfilling job for you because it's so highly personal. And to your point, yeah, flexibility that comes up a lot. Um, you know, what strengths do you have that you want to step into? It's, it's highly personal and that's what I usually do to cross reference. Okay. Out of all the careers you're considering, which career stacks up the highest with all of your career non-negotiables, whatever that may be. And yeah, salaries in there, but along with a lot of other things. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in your blog, you talk about how women can use a bridge job to lengthen their financial runway when trying to go after their dream role. So firstly, what is a bridge job and uh, how does one go about doing that? Yeah. So you know, the bridge job is what I would call, it's a temporary position that gives you the breathing room to make a career change. And by breathing room, I mean the gift of time, energy, sanity, and a financial buffer, right? So this is about strategically positioning yourself to achieve your dream role. So if you think about a bridge job, it mitigates the perceived financial risk of going after the dream role. It's, it's a way to feel empowered and it's a confidence booster. It allows you to explore what's possible when you have that safety net, right? So for me, um, you know, I, I took a bridge job. When I decided I'm leaving corporate America, I didn't just jump out and start building a business. I took a nine month corporate communications job, not a lot of stress. I got to leave at 4.30 every day, and that allowed me to chip away at building my business until I felt I had the financial safety net I needed to make the leap. Well, that's really interesting because as a business owner, uh, I'm sure you're doing well, but as a business owner, you could also do either zero or negative income. So to, to say, I'm going to jump in from my high-paying corporate job uh, that has that financial safety directly to I'm starting my own business with potentially zero income probably isn't the wisest uh, deal. And, and I think that's what the bridge, bridge job concept is, is it not? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you listen, I'm, I like security. I like money. I love money. So I, I would never tell somebody to jump straight out of their, you know, six figure job into, you know, oh, let me start from square one with my business. So it's, there is a very step-by-step -step strategy. And I often advise my clients to, yeah, work with their financial advisor and figure out, you know, what do, what do I have to work with here? So that the bridge job is really there to um, buffer you so that it's not just a shock to your system um, jumping into that dream role. Absolutely. And, and you, you mentioned the word buffer. We have a term in the financial advising world of buffer assets. And there are some assets like, let's say your 401k that you had at your corporate job. Well, that's really hard to get to without penalties and, and major taxes when, when you leave your corporate job to start your business. So, um, 
you know, if I were working with someone and, and we were talking about their, their, their career and, and if, if, if part of our discussion was that they would love to have a different job, well, we would work to have some assets or build a pool of assets that would be some buffer assets to when they, they do leave if things don't go as well as they wanted it to. Or if in starting a business they needed access to cash, they would have that outside of their, their, their retirement plans. Uh, the other thing is, I think there's a huge, huge, huge difference between being good at a skill and being able to run a business. So there are people who like to bake cakes and they are great cake bakers, but yeah. it, that in itself is a different skill than running a good bakery. Yes. So did you have any, any learning curve in running your own business? Good question. Yeah. And that's really true. And especially for coaches too, and career coaches, you know, we, we went into business so that we could serve others and help others and coach others. And yeah, a lot of the times it's not clear, not just for coaches, but just in general for people that, Hey, you know, 70% of the time you're actually marketing and building your business and client acquisition, right? So um, you're right. That's kind of something you have to realize as you're starting out that maybe you weren't aware of. For, for me, what I discovered is I love this stuff. I love building a business almost as much as I love coaching people. Um, and I've actually found myself coaching coaches on building their businesses because I find this part so enjoyable. Um, but I think, again, to your point, anybody that's considering starting a business, they have to play that into their list of non-negotiables, right? You really have to do the research ahead of time what would my typical day be like running this kind of business? And is that what I want my day to look like? Is, is that worth it to me? Or is that going to drive me nuts? And, you know, I have a lot of clients that are trying to decide, do I want a different corporate role or do I want to go off on my own? And what direction you decide is going to depend on all of your non-negotiables and how you want to spend your time. Yeah. So what are some examples of non-negotiables in, 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 in careers? Yeah, really good. So a um, couple things. First, I, I like to look at job history with people because what I say is that your job history is a lot of clues about what makes you tick. So we want to look at your job history and understand what did you love about each job? So we want to replicate that. That could go into your non-negotiables. Um, right. I loved coaching a team and I want to do that in my next role. Right. Um, we also want to look at what are you no longer willing to tolerate about each job? And we want to avoid that um, personality type. You need to make sure that the kind of human you are matches up with the kind of role you're considering. Right. So for me, I'm an INFJ. So I've, I've got that introvert in me. I love working one on one with people. Um, but in my corporate job, I was almost expected to be this extrovert. Right. So that didn't jive with me. So you got to find a job that honors your your personality type. Um, your motivators. Those are some non-negotiables. So what motivates you? Is it financial reward? Is it recognition? Is it affiliation? You have to factor those things in as well. Um, the job functions um, that you do every day. So what I tell people is try to notice when are you in a state of flow? When does time seem to fly? Those are the job functions that are major clues and potentially non-negotiables that we want to replicate. Um, and also your values. Those are non-negotiables. For me, one of my values is freedom. 
So you can see how going off as an entrepreneur made sense for me. So you have to look at what values you want to honor in your next role as well. So I'm curious, what percentage of your clients end up with another employment opportunity versus starting their own business? Because I do think that they are different personality types and, and would be curious on, on, on how that works. Yeah, that's such a good question. You know what I noticed, David, is that when I first started, I was almost working with all clients that were moving from a corporate role to a different corporate role. And oftentimes they were quite different. They were doing quite a, a career shift. As time went on and the longer I was in business, what I started to notice is I was attracting corporate women who wanted to leave the corporate world and become coaches. So now I'm seeing that percentage increase, um, maybe like a 50-50 spread at this point, just because that happens to be the kind of client I'm attracting now. Wow. Wow. It'd be interesting over time also to see the success rate of, you know, how someone who worked in a corporate role uh, is able to transition and run, and run their own show. Cause there, there are, there are a lot of differences, but um, I guess driven people who are passionate can always, always make it work if, if they have that, uh, that why factor. Yeah. And to your point too, David, I mean, it's, it's all that prep work behind the scenes. It's if you just hop into your own business, that is risky. But if mm -hmm. you spend a lot of time examining what will I have to do in that role? And am I willing to do that? Absolutely. Would I enjoy it? And if you do that, you've mitigated a lot of the risk. So when you worked for your big corporate job and your computer blow up, blew up, you put in a <laughs> PO somewhere and yeah. the money to buy a new computer just appeared and you got a new computer. Yes. Well, when you own your own show and you need a new, new computer, there has to be money to buy a new computer and sometimes it's not there. So that, uh, but as you, as you, when you know that's going to be the situation because you've done your due diligence and you, you have those emergency funds and you've done your budgeting, you can be prepared for those, for those kind of things for sure. Yeah. So. And to your point too, being a business owner, I mean, you have got to be on point with your money. You got to be smart with your money, working with a financial advisor, all those things. Um, so that, because you're, yeah, you are the master of your own domain now. Mm -hmm. So it isn't just order a computer. Yeah. Absolutely. So you have a five-step career bliss coaching process and you stress the importance of w women negotiating their worth when going after a new role. So how do, I mean, what can you do to negotiate, uh, you know, a, a salary or benefits package when, when, when you are looking for a new role? Yeah, absolutely. You know, what's interesting too, I read a statistic that in 2018, 68% of men um, negotiated their salaries and 45% of women negotiated their salaries. I just found that really interesting. Um, but it's something I have to be aware of working with mostly women um, is that, you know, there's a lot of hesitation there. Um, but essentially what I tell people is that you, before you go into the negotiation, the key is to do the research, do the prep work before that offer even comes to you. Because I think where people scramble is they get the offer, they're excited and they just want to accept. Um, but you got to do that back work. You, you have to learn as much as you can about the job being offered, the current market conditions. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, what I like to tell people too, and there's a million different, you know, thoughts on negotiation, but I like to tell people to focus on base salary. Um, you know, total comp is a bigger number, but it includes a lot of variables which are out of your control. So just for the sake of the negotiation, I like to focus on maximizing that base salary. 
So the prep work before the negotiation, you have two main objectives. One, um, you need to really understand why you are a valuable candidate for that job. And you're going to be drilling this into, you know, the, the employer the entire time so that they really understand your value. And two, you need to determine what is the minimum salary that I require to do this job. And then you kind of negotiate up from there. Okay. You know, there's one saying that I heard a long time ago that really just stuck with me forever. And it was that we are all paid based on, on how difficult it would be to replace us. So I think having, yeah, you know, um, I don't have 80,000 people buying several hundred dollar tickets to watch me work every day, which is why I don't make $25 million a year. Um, now, are, are athletes and, and rock stars, are they more valuable to the world? I don't know, maybe, maybe not, but they certainly are more valuable to the market. So I think having, having your talking points on why you are more valuable to the market and why you, you know, demand or command that, that salary uh, would be very important as opposed to, well, I have 20 years experience. Well, yes. will your 20 years of experience help my company to make more profit so we can afford you? And if the answer is no, or if the answer is, if, if there's not a well thought out answer on how you could, then, you know, just the fact that you have the experience doesn't necessarily mean that you deserve um, or, 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 or could, could, could receive that salary. Absolutely. And to your point, David, it's, yeah, it's about pain points. Every company is hiring based on a pain point that they're experiencing. So as the, you know, job seeker that wants to negotiate a high salary, you need to uncover what is that pain point? Because if you can uncover that and then convince them, yeah, not, oh, I have 20 years experience, but hey, I solved a similar pain point in my past. Here's how I solved it. Here's the quantifiable result that came out of me solving that pain point. Then you have some room to negotiate. Right, right. No, absolutely. Absolutely, for sure. So um, I would also think, you know, when you're, when you're at a, a mid-level and senior level corporate position, I would almost, as a hirer, I would look at it negatively if someone did not counter uh, counter on, on a job offer, right? I mean, if you can't negotiate a little bit higher salary, how could you maybe lego, uh, negotiate lower costs with vendors or, or even negotiate with your, with your subordinates to, to do better jobs? So would it not make you a more valuable uh, potential uh, executive if you, if you do at least attempt to, because you said 45% of women negotiate, that seems like a very low number. Correct. Yeah, it is very low. And, you know, I, that could be a whole nother podcast. Why, why is it that way? Why, why is it 68% of men? And it's just the way you thought about it too. It's, you know, Hey, they're going to value me more if I, if I showcase that I value myself and it, it's very interesting phenomenon. I don't have really a magical answer why it's only 45% of women, but I do know my job as a coach is to show women that, you know, Hey, exactly what you said. It's expected that you, you're, you're about to negotiate because you value what you're bringing to the table here. Um, and if you go into it with that mindset, it's not as scary or uncomfortable. Absolutely. So Betty, I have, uh, I'll definitely include it in the show notes, your five steps to transitioning from an unfulfilling career to the career that you will love. How else can anybody out there uh, find you either um, your website or, or do you have any other, other publications that you put out? 
Yeah, so definitely um, check out bettykempa.com, uh, B-E-T-T-Y-K-E-M-P-A.com. Um, I am also on LinkedIn. So I'm on LinkedIn, um, and I'll give you the link for that. Uh, and it's just flipped with my last name, Kempa Betty, um, on LinkedIn. Um, and I encourage uh, anybody that's listening to download, I've created a free four-part video training series on how to take these steps to transition into a career that you love. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I enjoyed having you on. This was, I know this was geared towards uh, senior level corporate women, but I think the principles that you're speaking of you apply to anybody at any level of job. And, and I do think that um, we spend so much of our lives working that we need to be in a fulfilling position. And also uh, my formula, the basic formula for financial planning is if you think about it, you're um, uh, your expenses must be less than your than your income, and that becomes a much easier formula when your income is higher. Yeah. So you know when you see all these athletes and the rock stars that go bankrupt, well, they didn't follow the same uh, formula that somebody who works at a minimum wage job doesn't follow. The only difference is they have more fun on the way down because on the way to bankruptcy, they had four Lamborghinis, yeah. um, but they still didn't follow. But, but, but in all seriousness, uh, more income just creates more margin, which makes that simple formula work much, much better. And of course your employment or, um, or, or what business you own is a, is, is the major piece of income that you'll ever bring in. So I certainly appreciate what you're doing and what you're doing for the world. So any uh, parting thoughts for our, for our audience? No, I just, um, you know, it was great, you know, being on your podcast, David. And, you know, I would just say to anybody considering a career change, um, don't let the thought that I can't make enough money hold you back from making the change. Be strategic about it. Get in. I, I always say build a career change board of directors. They should be working with a financial planner who can help them build a strategy. They should be working with a career coach who can help them figure out their bridge job. There's a way to make all these things work in your favor if you're strategic and you build a team. Well, let's actually jump into one other. You know, we're having this conversation kind of at the tail end where when the world is starting to open back up from, from COVID-19 and, and we don't know what's happening in the future, but most of the country is at least beginning to open up. That creates some challenges, does it not, uh, right now for job changes with everything that's gone, gone, uh, gone on with closures and, and layoffs? And has this made your life difficult? Have you been able to provide more value or how's the last couple months been for you? Oh yeah. Good question. So, I mean, for me, you know, I'm still providing the same value, you know, that I think I had in the past. It's just more people need more of it because of all the layoffs. Um, you know, and what I would say to job seekers that have been laid off, I just did a webinar on what to do after you get laid off with everything going on. And I know some people think, oh, well, there's hiring freezes. And so I, I can't do anything. My hands are tied. And I would tell job seekers the opposite of that because 80% of jobs are landed through networking, not applying online and networking takes time. So even if there's a hiring freeze, even if you've been laid off and we're all sitting home quarantined, now is the perfect time to 10X your networking strategy so that when the job opens up, you can land that role. So if anything, the service I've been providing people has been a focus on virtual networking and virtual interviewing. 
Isn't it crazy how the world has changed? Huh? Yeah. The, 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 the words that are now common now that we didn't think of even a few months ago, virtual and yeah. social distancing and everything else, but that, um, you know, we have to adapt or else we will, uh, we will not, uh, will not succeed. So, well, I will put your contact information in our show notes. I'll put the five-step process link in the show notes. And hey, I really enjoyed having you on. I think this was a fascinating topic and um, we look forward to having you on again sometime. Thanks so much, David. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Wow. So Betty Kemper really has some energy and you can just hear the passion in her voice for what she does. So in the show notes, I'm going to include a link to her five-step process uh, for transitioning from an unfulfilling job to a career that you can love. Now, Betty works a lot with senior uh, level female executives, but I think anybody can benefit from that uh, report and you can be- uh, visit her at bettykempa.com. We also ask that you like and subscribe to this podcast on the platform where you're listening and even leave a positive review. So until next week, we wish you a blessed life. The information contained herein, including but not limited to research, market valuations, calculations, estimates, and other material obtained from Parallel Financial and other sources are believed to be reliable. However, Parallel Financial does not warrant its accuracy or completedness. The materials are provided for informational purposes only. It should not be used or construed as an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. Past performance is not indicative of future results.